Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to be with you guys. <clears throat> I had fun last night um, going to the hotel. It was great. We had a great. Yeah, it was good. It's good, and uh, <laughs> we had a great time in the car, didn't we? And, and okay, see you tomorrow. And I get out of the car and I walked into the hotel and I thought, hmm, this looks different. They've remodelled it since I was here this afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> so we, uh, unfortunately, he was sort of gently coming around the car park and going out again. So we, uh, second try, got to the right hotel. Oh, and, uh, yeah. <laughs> so we, we got to the right hotel in the end. But, um, yeah. Well, why don't you just, um, can I have a radio mic? Um, just give us that mic. Give us that mic. Give us that mic. Come on, could just come and share the testimony um, of what... Uh, of the conversation, you know how this works? Yeah. Okay, you know how this works? <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, okay. No. That's not. Nope. Um, yeah. Which part? You know, just about meeting the lady. Oh, yeah, okay. So, uh, yesterday, um, I was coming off the off-ramp on um, 9th Street. Anyway, yeah, there was a lady sitting there, and, and, and she was a beggar. She was sitting there begging, and... And I just kind of, I rolled down my window and I looked at her and I just said, how are you doing? And she's like, I'm okay. And, you know, I just, I just asked her questions. I was like, well, you know, at least it's nice. And she's like, yeah, winter's over finally. And I said, well, it wasn't really a bad winter. And um, she's just like, yeah, I was downtown most of the winter. And, and then I asked her her name. I said, what's your name? And she said, my name's Shay. I said, well, my name's Sean. It's nice to meet you. And she's like, well, actually, my name is Shauna. I was like, well, why do people call you Shay? And she said, well, it's just easier to say Shay. So I was like, what? Well, Shauna's a really beautiful name. And the smile on her face was just priceless. Like, it just completely spoke to her heart, you know. And, and so I just invited her to come meet with us at the group downtown, you know. And, and as I was passing by later on, she noticed and she looked at me and said, what was that address again? And I yelled it back at her. And so I just, yeah. That's, Thanks, that's what it was all about. Yeah. So. Culture of invitation and a climate of hospitality. But uh, we, were, we were just um, reflecting in the car, you know. Um, you know just double stereo me. Come on. And um, I was just saying, you know, we talked yesterday about uh, the, the, the way in which the Holy Spirit clothes himself in us. And uh, there's, a, there's a verse in, in the Beatitudes where it says, Blessed are the pure in spirit, for they will see God. And we love that verse, and if we're not, um, you know, we're not holding on to the gospel too much, we say, well, I'll never see God because I'm not very pure in spirit. But I've been trying to um, bring home to you again and again that we are utterly and completely saved by grace. We're going to look at that in a moment. So we are those who are pure in, in the Lord and we will see his face. But it goes a little bit deeper than that because there's a flip side to this. That when we give a cup of cold water to the poor, we give it to Jesus. That Jesus came and clothed himself in that woman. Yeah. You see, I believe that we have the breath of God in, in us as human beings. Yeah. I believe that I'm alive today, that I was created out of nothing um, by God. I believe every human being is a creature um, with eternity written in their hearts, that, they're that every person, every person from every background, whether they're a saved, hallelujah, card-carrying, charismatic, or whether you know, they're in the mosque listening to the imam or the, are the imam themselves, Every human being has their life given to them by God. We're going to look at those verses in a moment. But uh, Jesus said, um, Come in, good and faithful servant. Enter your rest. When I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was alone and destitute and hopeless, you called me by my name. And gave me the comfort of human companionship. Wow. And so, you know, there are benefits to sharing your faith with another. You minister to that person, but Christ receives the love that you give to them. Right. 
And so we're ministering to Christ. That's right. When we share the, His love with somebody else, we're ministering to the Father. You see, there, there are mantles that we get to wear. The mantle of the Holy Spirit is, you know, the empowering presence that uh, was on Elijah, that was on Jesus. And there's the mantle of the Father in which we, we get to um, give our attention to making Jesus famous. You see, when um, James, Peter and John went up the mountain and saw Jesus transfigured, the theophany, the voice of God said, this is my son, listen to him. It's the desire of the Father to exalt the Son. And when we wear the mantle of Christ, it's the desire of the Son to honour the Father. So we get to wear these mantles, don't we? We get to be clothed in all of these things. There are benefits for us. You know, there's a joy, a deep, deep joy. And and just in this trip, um, one of the things that I've really come into is is having the food that Jesus ate. Yeah. You know, they came and, and they went to the quickie mart and they came back at the, at the well in John 4. And Jesus says, I have food you, you know not. For my food is to do the will of the Father and to complete all of the things that he has given me to do. And so we get, um, as sons and daughters in the house of God, we get ordained with completion. That we get to do and finish the things that God has given us to do. Wow. And that, that, that there's a, there's a, there is a manna, there is a food, there is a bread in completing and being in the will of God. Yes, there is a food in that for us. There is a joy in that. We can be fed on the manna of His joy. Jesus, full of joy, in the Holy Spirit, said, Father, I thank you that you have revealed these things. You have given the kingdom to little children. Yeah. And that's the Rick Odlin paraphrase. But, you know, there is a food yeah. in doing that work. That's right. And I want you to, to eat that manna. Every day, every day there's an opportunity. There's, there's bread on the ground to pick up. There's an opportunity for you to pick up yeah. And to, and to eat of the joy of the bread of Jesus. Collect the manna. Collect the manna. Wow. And do the works of the kingdom of God. So, you know, I was saying to, to our dear friends earlier today, you know, every day presents an opportunity. Every day we get to pray. Just one, Lord. Just one opportunity with one person. It's all it takes, isn't it? And for us to maybe even think this, you know, Lord, this year, just one person led to Christ. Yes. Yes. Just one person yes. coming into what I've got. Yes. And you would double the church <laughs> yearly. Amen. Come on. You know, and, and uh, not even so, well, hallelujah, you know, the chairs are full. But, you know, just the, the manner, yes. the manner of, of being in the will of God. Yes. The, the joy of ministering to Christ in the poor. Yeah. It's incredible. I was with um, um, Heidi Baker in November and she was teaching that thing about blessed are the pure, they'll see God. And she was talking about you know, seeing Jesus in the orphan. Mm -hmm. But I just wanted to take it a little bit further and in my heart and in my experience, there's a joy not only in seeing Jesus in the poor but ministering to Jesus. Mm -hmm. wow. And the poor can be a suitcase, briefcase carrying suited man. That's right who's devoid of hope, whose family's going down the pan, whose marriage is on the rocks, whose job is under threat. Yes. And he needs to know he has a saviour. Yes. Yeah. Who's afraid that the mortgage is not going to be paid and he's going to get foreclosed on. Yes. You know, blessed are the poor. And God wants to use you to minister to those people. And I tell you that um, it's, it's as we give away the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit that we have, it's as we give that away we get more. That's right. And as we become reliable sons in the vineyard, God gives us more responsibility. Yes. He enlarges the place of our tent because we can carry more and we will distribute more. Mm -hmm. You see, if, uh, if, 
If a farm is capable of producing a large crop, but the farmer doesn't know how to get it, um, he will, you know, he'll be replaced. (laughs) Or, you know, another farm will be picked. Well, we'd like to use your crops, but you don't look after them and they've got, um, you know, supermarkets that, you know, the crops come out all damaged and flea-bitten, so we're going to have to buy somewhere else. Jesus put it like this, give give the, the, the talent that the man buried to the man who has ten. Because he's a reliable servant. He's a reliable son. And, uh, you know, I want to encourage you to position yourself for increase by being reliable with what you've got now. You know, if, if God gives you a measure of grace, if he gives you a prayer or a word or an encouragement, if he gives you a picture, a face of somebody, wakes you up with a name or a song or something, it's unto harvest that intimacy is unto harvest and so I want to encourage you to just step out in the grace that God gives you and then he'll give you more because you were reliable you were a faithful son and the joy and the the payback of ministering to Christ um, in another it's just incredible so he has that So, Dad, we just want to thank you for your word. Thank you for um, principles of life. Thank you for the hope we have in the gospel. And as we come to it now, we just pray, release everything from heaven that you want us to receive that will become part of us. Amen. Amen. Kind of what I want to do is is bounce between Mark chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 3, but I want to give you a summary statement Uh, that's very helpful it's in 1 Corinthians 15 it says um, speaking about death the sting of death is the sorry um, 1 Corinthians 15 56 um, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law and uh, you know just thinking about what we have in Christ or, or what Christ has saved us from the sting It's a word, you know, like a bee sting or a wasp. Wasps are not of God, alright? You need to know that. Bees are because they produce honey. (coughs) And the sting is just, you know, to keep us on our toes. But uh, the sting of a wasp, you know, or the sting of a bee, it penetrates and then injects poison. A neurotoxin. And we're told here that, that the sting of death is sin. So, um, death is the sting. In verse 55 says, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. So, the thing that, um, you know, that makes that hurt us is sin. So, you know, when the bee sting stings you, it pumps in the poison. Sin is what kills and, and, you know, death is what penetrates. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, verse 57, he, has, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we have all tasted, ironically, the sting of death. We've all tasted that. We, as Paul says, were dead in our sins. We all needed... Um, to be resurrected. We walked around blind and dead. We were were flatlining. And we were dead in our sins and uh, that was the consequence. And the power of sin was the law. We, We knew the law, we broke the law and therefore the consequences of the law came to us. But beyond that, we're now we have the one who redeems us from the law. And again in John 7, uh, sorry, not John, I keep saying John, uh, Romans 7, uh, there's a great verse for us. I have to set this as a preamble because I'm about to talk to you about the life of Christ. But we have to deal with our stuff before we get to the benefits of the life of of Christ. And uh, And in Romans 7, Paul uses the analogy of death and marriage. And he says, uh, do you not know, brothers, verse 1, for I am speaking to men who know the law, that the law has authority over man only 
as long as he lives. For example, by law, a, a married woman is bound to a husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. So then, if she marries another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress, even though she marries another man. So the law applies until there's a death. But after the death, the law is abolished. And because it's abolished, it's obsolete. It no longer applies. I'm using the language of Hebrews. It's incredible, isn't it, that a Jewish man, the writer to the Hebrews in the letter of the Hebrews, a Jewish man would say that the, the covenant has been abolished. Yeah. It's an incredible statement. No wonder they were being persecuted. Yeah. And then he goes on in um, Romans 7. So my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit to God. This, earlier I was looking at uh, the idea of um, the fact that we are qualified for ministry by grace, that we are, um, to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, that uh, we are qualified by grace, we are identified by the glory of his presence, and we are authenticated by his love. You know, um, 1 Corinthians 13 says, I may, I may prophesy, I may throw my body in the flames, but have I not love, I am nothing, I can do nothing. I am nothing. And so, love is the authentication. And I want to just for a moment look at the life of Christ, who lived as the embodiment of the beloved Son. He lived under the good pleasure of the Father. And in Mark chapter 1, it says... After John was put into prison, Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom is near. Repent and believe the good news. And so Jesus had a mighty ministry. But what we need to understand for him to have that mighty ministry, things needed to happen first. The first thing that happened to Jesus was his baptism. And in his baptism, his empowerment for ministry. Jesus was the Son of the Father, ever under the grace of and, and love of the Father. But he was also the Son empowered. He, was, he manifested the glory of the Holy Spirit. And we read about the baptism of Jesus. It says, at that time, he came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John. And as Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. A voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. And we think, hallelujah, you know, that's where we want to be. But then it goes on in verse 12 of Mark 1 to say, at once, immediately, the Spirit sent him out into the desert and he was tested in the desert for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and the angels attended him. It's a very summary statement of the, of the 40 day wilderness experience. And the thing I just want to draw to your attention at this point with this verse is that it says immediately the Spirit sent him into the desert. The Spirit yeah. threw him out. I use that word intentionally. The, the Greek word for deliverance is ekbalon, to be cast out. Jesus ekbaloned the demons. And here we read the Holy Spirit ekbaloned Jesus into the desert. He cast him out. And you think, well, why would, why would the Holy Spirit do that to Jesus? Why would, it, why would Mark need to intentionally tell us it was the work of the Spirit to put him in the desert? Because sometimes what the Holy Spirit's going to do is He's going to refine us and strengthen us and confirm our call and show and demonstrate His faithfulness. He's going to expose us to something. We have inoculations, don't we? And we are exposed to something. And what doesn't kill you cures you. And so Jesus was exposed to spiritual warfare by the Holy Spirit. And you think, why would, why would the Holy Spirit do that? I thought God was meant to be nice. 
God is not nice. He's kind. God is not nice. He's kind. Now, I need to be careful here because we're talking two versions of English. Okay, in my country, when, you, when someone's nice, they're polite. And polite is bound to culture. In some cultures, it's polite, it's nice to belch after a big meal. It's a compliment. But in other cultures, belching at the table, not cool. I found that one out from my mother. <laughs> okay, not cool. And so, nice is a word that follows culture. Kindness is universal. Kindness is associated with the character of God which is holy and loving. And so, God is kind to Jesus and He says, Son, I'm going to put you through a refining fire. I'm going to show you everything that the devil can throw at you is not enough. Now, bear in mind that God places limits on the temptation of a believer. That we are only allowed to be tempted so far. And He will always leave a way out for us. But when it came to Jesus, the gloves were off. He was tempted in every way. With the full intensity and fury and beguiling uh, trickery of the devil. In every way. And so Jesus was baptized and he heard the affirmation of the Father and he, was, he received without measure the anointing. And immediately he's cast out by the Holy Spirit into the desert. And it is through that that he then comes in power into his ministry. Knowing his call, knowing the faithfulness and the, and the power of God to keep him safe. And all through his ministry, he knew the near presence of the Father, the affirmation, you're my beloved son, you're my beloved son. But he also knew that, that he had in himself, through, the, through the, the commands of Scripture, through who he was and the presence of the Holy Spirit, the ability to overcome the evil one. And if you read the New Testament, you will read that Jesus confers that upon the church. I have given you authority to, to stand on snakes and scorpions. And it's important that we know this and that we understand the times and the seasons that we're in. And it's through that that Jesus then says, the time has come, another season has arrived. The season of the kingdom of heaven. The season of the lion of the tribe of Judah living amongst you. The season of the Holy Spirit representing the fullness of God, the image of the invisible God is seen in Christ and Christ returns to the Father but he says, I will send you, effectively he says, I'll send you one like me and he will be with you. So now we live in the age of the Holy Spirit and we too will get thrown out occasionally by the Holy Spirit. 1 Peter says that our faith is refined Mm. by fire. It's tested and is proved to be of more worth than gold. So that we receive a crown. We receive glory and honour on the day of the Lord. Because we are those, Revelation 7, who have passed through the tribulation. Passed through the persecutions and the difficulties. And so, if we are to maintain revival, if we're not to be crushed and get disappointed and say, well, you know, I thought it was all going to be easy. I thought when revival came, you know, it was sweet by and by. I thought that now it was going to get easier. Come on. Maybe we need to come and remember what what happened to Jesus. That God's going to test us. I went to a college and I was there four years and then we do three years probationary sort of you know, further study after that and then you just carry on and on and on. But um, at, my, um, at my ordination service, a thousand people there, um, you know, what they ask you to do is, okay, you come forward, receive your, your degree and, you know, you get your, in fact, it was this one, your ordination Bible, and uh, you're allowed to, to give a word. And uh, everybody has a scripture, you know, and it's all, the scriptures were things like... Um, uh, people would come forward and say things such as, uh, go and preach the gospel, you know, a Paul charges Timothy. Yeah. And I prayed, and my word was this one. For 40 days, he was in the wilderness. 
and he was tempted and at the end of it he was weary. <laughs> and this, this is to all the Baptist dignitaries. Um, the speaker for the day was the, the Archbishop of Canterbury, the head of the English church. Wow. And, uh, and, um, and, and so my verse was, man that was hard. <laughs> Because, you know, when you do um, a, a theological degree, you're going to have to come up against things you wholeheartedly disagree with. I mean, wholeheartedly disagree with. But you've got to be able to um, consider and reflect upon and all of that stuff. So, that was my hard testing. But I said, okay, it was hard, but I know I'm called. Yeah. And it's knowing the grace of God on your life, the sustaining uh, Grace. Um, grace has two meanings in the New Testament. Sustaining, that's one word. Um, so it keeps you going. Grace. And so sometimes Paul speaks about the grace, you know, through the difficulties. And other times, grace is spoken of. Now to each one is given. Um, given, the charis. And so it's an ability. You know, um, some heal, some do miracles, some teach, and so on. So you put those together and what you have is sustainability. Wow. And that, if you remember the word sustainability, tells you the fullness of what the Holy Spirit is wanting to do in you. He wants to sustain you, but also enable you to be fruitful. And, um, and so here we see this, this pattern in the life of Jesus. There was the encounter, there was a call, there was a crossing over into you know, the Jordan, effectively into life and ministry. There was testings and there will be testings for us that will refine us, that will strengthen us. You keep a little plant in a greenhouse, it doesn't cope with winter. It has to grow from a seedling, but you put it outside. It has to be weathered. It, and I'm told that when a tree receive, you know, gets the wind blowing on it, what that does is it provokes the roots to grow. Turn with me, if you will, to Ephesians. Chapter 3. I think this is probably one of the most important uh, passages for Christians in the Bible. Um, it's Trinitarian in nature. It's just an amazing um, it describes to me the experience of the Christian life. Verse 14. We're talking about how we sustain and there are going to be times when we go through dryness. There are going to be times when we go through disappointments. And we are going to learn how to say, though he slay me, yet will I praise him. Wow. And not shake an angry fist at God in the disappointment of a desolate life. For this reason I kneel before the Father. This is Paul the Apostle. So Paul's on his knees and he says he's praying for us. This is a window into the thought life and the prayer life and the spirituality of the Apostle Paul. The guy who was knocked from his horse. The guy who was on his way to persecute the church. Who got a radical conversion. Who spent years figuring out, rereading the Torah, rereading the Old Testament to us, to understand again and again the gospel of grace, and it's from him we get so much. But he says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Remember what we were saying earlier? The whole family. Now you could be a particularist at this point and say, Well, that means the saved people. But I believe that every family, every person is known to God. And our job is to, is to uh, go and discover them. Um, C.H. Spurgeon talking about uh, Reformed theology and Calvinism, um, you know, which talks about there's a number of the elect. He says, oh God, save the elect and then elect some more. Come on. And uh, he talks about the cross. Um, you know when you burn, do you have coal here? Do you burn coal? All right, you know, sometimes there's iron in it, isn't there? Um, you know, when you burn the coal, you get what's called a clinker in England. And it's iron ore in the coal. And he talks about the cross being like a magnet and you thrust it into the, into the, um, the ash and the coal uh, debris of life. And it will draw out those who are being saved. When we preach the gospel, um, you know, when, when you lift up the Son of Man, he will draw 
yeah. all men to himself. When you preach Christ, when the hope of the gospel, he's going to draw people at that time. And then we go and we try it again somewhere else, and we try it again somewhere else, because we don't know who they are. Yeah. But he does. So we get to go on a treasure hunt. And so we see that for this reason Paul prays to the Father. Isn't it interesting that Paul believed in prayer? Paul believed prayer was an important part of mission. That he's praying to the Father that, that something would be released through prayer. And you know what we water grows. What we don't water withers. What we pray for, for grows. And I think that every ministry in every local church should have a corresponding prayer ministry. Not just the general, oh Lord, we pray, bless the church. But but a prayer meeting before the mums and toddlers, a prayer meeting before the worship practice, a prayer meeting before, you know, or else we're just becoming the machine, aren't we, that doesn't need the Holy Spirit. You know, churchianity. And he says, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So, he starts by invoking the presence of the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, we need you. Please come. Please come to these people. They're yours. They belong to you, but they need you. They need something more than they have. And so I pray that, Father, out of your immense riches, what are the riches of God if not his mercy? His compassion, the Lord, the Lord, gracious and compassionate, slow to get angry, quick to forgive. And so he prays to that one who is so rich, the prodigal father. You see, prodigiousness, the prodigal son, his, his DNA was correct. His implementation was incorrect. You see, what he did was he took his wealth and threw it away. He just gave it away. He was generous. He was extravagant. The word, just look up in a dictionary the word prodigal or prodigious. It means recklessly extravagant. And the son was recklessly extravagant in that story. And when he came home to the father, what was the father but recklessly extravagant in his mercy? So you think, oh, that's where the son got it from. And the father does what? He takes off his best ring, puts it on his finger, takes off his best jacket, puts, his, puts it on his shoulders, takes off his Armani shoes, puts them on his feet. Why? Because he's recklessly, offensively extravagant. Wow. He's the prodigal father. The one that Paul is now speaking about. That out of his glorious riches, glory, kabod, means weightiness. The etymology of the word is a farming word. It comes from when the branch of a vine is so laden with fruit, it's, it's heavy, it's bowing down. There's weightiness. That um, metaphor was then picked up to speak about a king and his nation. The glory of a king is the nation that surrounds him. And when we look into heaven, we see every tribe, nation and language before the throne. There is a glory, there is a carbon, there is a heaviness around the King of Kings. And it is the redeemed of the Lord who are returning with singing. Someone say Amen. Amen. And so here we see that Paul is praying to the Father that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power. So he says, Dad, they're not going to understand this unless you come and bring a spirit of revelation. And it is a work of the Holy Spirit that A, we get saved and B, we begin to appreciate and walk into and live out of the extent of his riches. You see, you, you could inherit today you could inherit a fortune and live like a pauper. Never cash the cheque. Never do anything with the will. I don't think that will be the case in this room, but I'm telling you, you know, we do that with, with the things of heaven. We never cash the cheque. We live like paupers. We live like orphans. We live like frightened rabbits. We're afraid of God. We're afraid of Him because we have a wrong image of Father. We don't see Him as the prodigal Father. We see Him as an angry God. 
And it's just not the picture Jesus gave us when he said to Philip, Philip, don't you know me? To have seen me is to have seen the Father, for the Father and I are one. Let's not go into substance at this moment. But, and so he says, Oh God, oh God, oh God, more. Send the, the fire. Oh God of cleansing, burning flame, send the fire. Send the fire today. And so he's praying for the Holy Spirit to begin to land on people. Yeah. You see, people think that when we ask for the, an open heaven of revival, that when we're asking for the Holy Spirit to fall, it's something frivolous. We want to play. I can't do what I need to do without him. You know, Jesus, put it another way, mission. How on earth do you do evangelism if you're a cessationist? <laughs> when Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem until you receive power from on high... Then, and only then, will you be my witnesses. I don't wish to disrespect a denomination in that comment, but I do personally value the Holy Spirit. I value his imminence. I value um, his ways. I value the illumination that he gives us, um, uh, even in the scriptures. I can't understand scripture without the Holy Spirit. As far as I can get is my intellect without him. And we all know what that looks like. (laughs) Back to reading theological books again. So, we must have the presence of the Holy Spirit. We must have him if we are to fulfill his work. Jesus, go back to the baptism of Jesus. You are my beloved son, whom I love, in you I am well pleased. And so we have the work of Christ on the cross, the finished substitutionary atonement of Christ, in order that we may also be um, filled to overflowing with the abundance that we may have power. And so, I want to say, well, why do you want to give us power? You know, are we, is this just so we get a good meeting? <laughs> I pray that out of his glorious riches may he strengthen you with power through the Spirit in your inner being. So that, in order that, Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Yeah. So, no Spirit, no Christ. Ooh. No spirit, no real Jesus. Cardboard cutout, possibly. Um, Poor photocopy, possibly. Notional Jesus. But not the real one. Because the real one's a person. So that Christ may dwell in the seat of your emotions through faith. I can't have faith unless it's given to me. I can exercise faith as an act of will, but the gift of faith is from God. You're thinking about that one a little bit, aren't you? You can tell the cogs are turning. And so, I need to say, Holy Spirit, come and reveal to me, Father, Son, you know, reveal the Father and the Son to me and help me. Help me, Lord, to believe. Become in me belief. Be you in me. I've got to have the Holy Spirit. I can't witness without you. I can't read the scriptures and understand them. I can't receive them without you. I can read them, I can get knowledge, I can, I can memorize a page and a verse. But I can't have the one who is contained behind those words without you. I want the living word. It isn't Father, Son and Holy Bible, it's Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And so, I pray, says Paul, that out of the riches of heaven and out of the riches of the Father, you get the Spirit in your inner being in order that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. You see, without this Spirit, we can't cry, Daddy. We can't believe for uh, undeserved favor that's going to last. We can't believe for a salvation that works. We believe for a works in the hope of salvation. So Christ Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. I pray that you being rooted and established in love. So now here we are, rooted and established. Two words, interesting words. Uh, It means rooted, roots going down into the ground. And when roots get established, they found something to wrap around. They're bound to rock. 
So when the storms come, the faith doesn't leave. You know, when, when we hear a report from a doctor or we hear a report from an employer or we see what's going on with our children or our communities, we're not only rooted, we're established upon a rock. And so we say, well, you can try what you want to try, devil, but I know the truth is this, that my Redeemer lives. You see, when I go to sea in my lifeboat, it's a self-writing lifeboat. You can flood several compartments and the thing's going to work. I won't say it's unsinkable because that would be arrogant. But we live in the church of Jesus Christ. The resurrection power, the unsinkable power of Jesus is at work in us. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 1. The same power that raised him from the dead is at work in us. So I have at this moment resurrection power. You have at this moment the same power from the Father that said, Son, arise. It's done. You are vindicated. Everything you said is true and now the world's going to know it. That power is at work in us. And so I not only get um, this Holy Spirit helping me to dwell in Christ and Christ to dwell in me through faith. He gives me the faith and I believe and I'm sustained. Perseverance of the saints. I pray that you are rooted and established in love that you may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And, you know, we, when, when we go to sea in our lifeboat, we go um, usually in bad weather and uh, it's impossible to steer a straight course. And for two reasons on the ocean. One is because the waves hit the boat. Well, three reasons. One is the waves. The second one is the wind, windage that blows the boat in a particular direction. And the third one is the undercurrents. You see, the waves are doing that, as you well know if you go swimming out in one of your lakes. But underneath that is that. And so there's a constant need, if you're going to steer a course, to correct. And, And so a straight line looks like this. And for us to steer a straight line in God is to keep coming back to centre in the Father's love. Because we have undertoes, don't we? We have windage, you know, the storms of life. We have the waves of uncertainty hitting us all the time. And we can get tossed to and fro by those waves. So we have to keep correcting and coming back to centre in the love of God. And Paul says, this is what I pray be released on you, and I'm praying for that to be released on this house. That you would have the extravagance of the love of the Father released upon you as you embrace the presence and honour the presence of the Holy Spirit. He will bring to you those things like faith, and like the revelation of the Father's love, and like the, the, the revelation that you are once and forever saved. Come on that he's not changing his mind about you. As if he should have lied when he said you're forgiven. Come on, Holy Spirit. That just found a home in someone. That you may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Now, preachers like to take each one of those and just expound on them. I'm not going to do that because... I feel we're coming to the end. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Isn't that cool? To know something that's more than knowledge. That that is exalted above intellect. You see, um, we live in a time, we lived through a time, some of us, where it was, um, uh, I think it was facts, faith, reason. Do you remember that train? You got to have. You believe the facts, and you have faith. No, facts, faith, feeling. That's the one, isn't it? Facts, faith, feeling. That used to be the teaching, that that um, relegated feelings. Yeah. Um, they weren't to be trusted. Feelings are from God. Yes. God gave us our emotions. God gave yeah. us our feelings, and they if I am to read this correctly, are important. That he has given us a knowledge that surpasses knowledge. That you may know this love of Christ and to know this love 
that surpasses knowledge. And so, to have an emotional encounter, to have a, an encounter with God in which you are open for him to come and convince you, to convict you of his love, yeah. is perfectly appropriate. Yeah. It's desirable. It roots and establishes us. It gives us boldness. It's what kept Jesus going through the testings in the desert. It's what kept him moving forward with his face like flint, set towards the cross. It's what Hebrews later reflects on and says he scorned the shame of the cross for the glory that was set before him. You know, we are to deny ourselves and take up the cross. Okay, and that doesn't mean putting up with someone you don't like. It means, it means to be saved is to surrender what we can't keep in order to keep what we can't lose. Amen. That you may be filled to, all, uh, to the measure of all the fullness of God. Oh my goodness, how am I going to do that? I'm going to be filled, just listen to these words, to the measure of all the fullness of God. Boy, oh boy, Jesus promised he would give us the glory that he had. I'm going to share my glory with them, Father. Read, if you want to unpack that, um, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Um, go, and, go and do a deep study on, on the prayer in John 17. It'll answer that one for you. And so here we are, and we're blown away by the presence that leads us into the Father's arms that keeps us there, that allows us to meet with Jesus, that allows us, as Paul says in in, um, Philippians, to fellowship with Christ in his sufferings. And so somehow to attain to the power of the resurrection. And you say, well, what are those sufferings, Christ? Uh, The ones that I have suffered with him. Betrayal. Um, Disappointment. Uh, Friends departing you. Just to name a few. Um, Grief. To grieve in Zion. To grieve over the lost. To grieve over those who you had hoped to see Christ formed. Paul said that he wept over the church as Christ was being formed in them. And so we share with Christ in his sufferings. And so somehow we also attain to the power of the resurrection. It's as we say, Jesus, where you go, I go that we lose our lives and gain them paradoxically. And then, as if to comfort us, he says in verse 20, in case you are wondering if this is possible, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and forever Amen so I want to encourage you one of the best ways and this is really the point to sustain the presence of God is to value the presence of God you know what we value we look after what we don't value or get used to and and therefore devalue we, we put those things down don't we and suddenly when you need them you can't find them car keys but you see what we get used to we start to leave lying around or what we don't value and sometimes we give things to the children to play with and they're really valuable and they don't know the value so they you know throw it to one another or you know leave some expensive item maybe a phone or whatever lying around but it the sustaining presence of of revival is sustained by valuing and valuing and valuing the Holy Spirit Oh, oh, Holy Spirit, we need you. Oh, Holy Spirit, we love your presence. Oh, Holy Spirit, um, we want to have the food of Jesus when we see the lost being saved. We want that reward of the joy of Jesus. The joy of Jesus can be yours today. When you, when you offer that cold cup of water to someone in need, you will receive the joy of Jesus. The joy of your salvation. I'm not talking about you know puffing yourself up and and gaining some sort of righteousness points but I'm talking about in humility in humbleness and brokenness of heart 
You know, serving another and serving Christ. And I tell you, I've been doing this stuff for nearly three decades now. And uh, you don't tire of it. If you stay where the flame is, it's always fresh and it's always new. So guys, I want to encourage you. Value the anointing. Value his presence. And hear the prayer of Paul over your life. And that's our prayer this morning. That the Holy Spirit would come and fill your hearts with his power to know the love. And and to be fueled by that love as you minister to somebody else. Out of the memory of this hour. There is a testimony today for you. I received the love of the Father one more time. And you can have it too. That's all we do. We give away our testimony. Shall we stand together? Dad, we just thank you for our time together. We thank you for your presence. Thank you for the impartation. We receive Christ by faith because, Holy Spirit, you come to us today. We thank you for the increase. That, Lord, we can be filled, but, uh, Lord, you can expand us to receive more. Yeah. And, Father, the only time the pressure increases is when there is a resistance. If there's no resistance, then we just go on receiving more and more and more. There's no such things as the hard teachings of Christ when we love the lips of the one who commands. And so, Father, we we just receive this command today to love you with all our hearts, with all our strength, with all our minds, with everything within us, and to love our neighbours as ourselves. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are pouring out your presence right now. And I just believe for someone this morning, you have doubted your salvation. And the Holy Spirit, through his word, says, Son, daughter, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I am with you always. Holy Spirit, give that person the faith to believe that. That it's a finished work. Amen. Sorry for going on a bit too long, folks. Thank you.